Welcome back, Heming <clears throat> Brainiacs, to the podcast, talking about chapter 5.1. Hail and farewell. Uh, no discussion prompt. Swim says, George now turns his attention to a trip he took with his cousin Edward Martin to Bayreuth, Germany. Bayreuth is best known for its association with the composer Richard Wagner. They are on their way the annual Bayreuth Festival, at which performances of operas by the 19th century German composer Richard Wagner. George is very critical of Edward's latest play. His criticisms roll off Edward's back, much to George's irritation. Palestrina was an Italian composer of late Renaissance music, considered the leading composer of the late 16th century Europe. Palestrina, a long-lasting influence on the development of church and secular music in Europe, especially on the development of counterpoint is a recording of Palestrina's most well-known work. Uh, I'm not going to click it just yet. Tech refixes. Yeah, he isn't doing himself any favours. We're all firmly on Edward's side, notwithstanding that we know nothing of the particulars. It's hilarious, says Swim, that all Edward keeps saying is you're a very good critic. It's a pretty good uh, ref- uh, deflection, I reckon. Acoustic uh, Heel says, quick refresher on Wagner pronounced Wagner, a German composer who basically broke opera and all classical music in the 1870s by writing ever longer and less tonal, tonal pieces of music. His Ring Cycle was a series of four operas totaling 17 hours, which was performed on four consecutive nights. He was all anyone in the music world could talk about for the next 50 years. The characters of Inhuman Bondage discussed his work. All believed and wrote that Jews weren't capable of writing real also believed and wrote that Jews weren't capable of writing real classical music and Hitler was fond of his ideas, so he's pretty cancelled now. Had a gigantic opera house, Bayreuth, by Reut. By Reut. Uh, built just for his gigantic operas, to which our friends are now travelling. Famous opening bars, which are confusing music theory-wise. Um, awesome. I'm familiar with Wagner. Um, I've also... I've been at Cologne Cathedral, although I did not hear any music being performed there. I thought it was a cool building. Very cool. The most noteworthy feature is its pixel window. Um, Cool. All right. Um, So it's still there. That's cool to know. Looks sort of like a burn. It looks sort of burned on the outside. Oh yeah, it's like a dark gothic burnt-looking cathedral. Very cool. Acoustic Eel says I fell behind a few days again because Anders, as Ander noted, this reading is a slog. But I was summoned into line again by the mention of classical music. This might be a better example of what Martin heard at Cologne before. Here we have a piece for two groups of singers in the antiphonal, antiphonal style. The two groups alternate singing lines, echoing each other and occasionally sing together, or seeking each other across the aisles, as more artfully described. The effect is heightened when the two groups stand further apart, but it also becomes more difficult to perform. Imagine these two quarters in the left and right corners at the front of the cathedral, or for maximum difficulty, one at the front and one at the very back in the balcony. Voices coming from all directions. It's a very cool effect when you can pull it off. 
Very, very cool indeed. Let's have a little look. Palestrina Stabat Mater. Kills. Um, swoops in with his life connecting to the art, you know, in true acoustic heels fashion. Um, let us keep reading. Uh, it, oh, it looks like I was nearly finished the chapter last night. It's a relatively short chapter. Okay, if I had known that, I probably would have kept reading. Um, Alright, well, let's finish this chapter. The folk were coming out, but it was not, Wedwood was not among them, and I feared that my opportunity was lost of learning something definite about architecture. He might, however, be in the church, and was discovered after a long search at the end of a pew in a distant corner, still praying heavily. Reluctant to interrupt him, I stood watching, touched by his piety. He crossed himself, came out of the pew, genuflected before the altar and hastened towards me, now ready to explain the difference between the Romanesque and the Gothic, and that day I learned that the Romanesque windows are round and the Gothic pointed. It is always interesting to add to one's store of information. All the simple facts of the world are not known to everybody, and when Edward had told me that the cathedral at Aix bores traces of both styles, we went to study the stained glass, stopping before a large window the beauty of which he said filled him with enthusiasm for the genius of the 13th century. But, my dear Edward, I'm sure that is a modern window. Whereupon he blazed out, he respected my judgment, but not about stained glass, nor about architecture, and he reminded me that five minutes before I did not know the difference between the Gothic and the Romanesque. That is quite true all the same. I know the window to be modern, and after a heated argument we went in search of a beadle, who produced a guidebook and a little English. Edward produced a little German, and between the three, the guidebook German, English and English German, it was established beyond doubt that the window was exactly six years old. But let no one conclude that this story is told in order to show that dear Edward is one of the 999 who cannot distinguish between the 13th century and a modern imitation of it. Were the story told for this purpose, I should be a false friend and, what is worse, a superficial writer. The story is told in order to show Edward when the fog descends upon him. His comprehension is never the same. There is always a little mist about. Sometimes it is no more than a white, evanescent mist sufficient to dim the outlines of things, making them seem more beautiful. Sometimes the mist thickens into yellow fog through which nothing is seen. It trails along the streets of his mind, filling every alley, and then the fog lifts and pinnacles are seen again. He is like Ireland, the country he came from. Sometimes a muddling fog, sometimes a delicious mist of ray, with a ray of sun, a ray of light striking through. And that is why he is the most delightful of travelling companions. One comes very soon to the end of a mind that thinks clearly, but one never comes to the end of Edward. 
After the cathedral, we went to the picture gallery, and I remember a number of small rooms hung with pictures, of course, since it was a picture gallery, and going down these with Edward and being stopped suddenly by the sight of one picture so beautiful that all the others were forgotten. Who can have painted it? Let us stand here. Don't go near it. Let us try to work it out. Some Dutch or Flemish master, a Flemish master rather than a Dutch master. I cannot get nearer to it than that, but one of the most beautiful pieces of paintings in the world. A picture, let us say, 24 by 36. Remember, it is 10 or a dozen years since I have seen it. Painted on canvas or on panel. For aught I know, it may be painted on copper. But if I had forgotten the details that interest the bric-a-brac hunter, I have not forgotten the painting. But no more than this will I say about it. That is not by Hondekota, nor by Kuyup, who painted barn door fowls occasionally, nor by Snyders. Its brilliant beauty is beyond the scope of their palettes. Shall I satisfy the curiosity of the reader, or shall I excite it by concealing the name? Excite it by telling him to be sure to stop at Aix-la-Chapelle on his way to Beirut to see the most beautiful cock that ever did trot a hen on a dunghill. A glowing golden bird. Uh, And that's the end of the chapter. Always nice to leave a chapter with a beautiful cock. Um, On that note, thank you for listening. And I will see you tomorrow.